Welcome to Season 3 of The Successful Strategist, a podcast on strategy, management, and governance dedicated to helping you address the most important questions any organization can ask. I'm Mitchell Muncy, a consultant who has co-founded or led five startups, for-profit and non-profit, spanning the media, public policy, and higher education. In these practical five-minute episodes, I cut through jargon and myth to offer you the same advice I give my clients. Good morning. Over the last few weeks, I covered 10 threats to good strategy, including, last time, the possibility that your strategy could itself become a threat to your success. Today, I begin a new series on the roles that people in key positions, chief executives, chief strategy officers, board members, and, yes, consultants, play in your strategy development. I'll start with chief executives and executive directors, who face two temptations. The first is to focus their attention on operational improvements and deal-making, or, in the case of nonprofits, fundraising. CEOs can't ignore these, of course, as capital markets and boards of directors will be happy to remind them. But it's precisely because these activities are so immediately satisfying to most stakeholders that they can lead CEOs to overlook deeper obligations. Strategy requires clearly defining and communicating what is unique about the organization. Making trade-offs, that is, choosing what the organization will not do, and forging a mutually reinforcing fit among activities. When strategy is presented in this way, it's clear that only the CEO has the authority and perspective to provide the discipline required for an organization to implement a strategy consistently. Michael Porter goes so far as to say that the CEO must be something of a strategy professor constantly teaching others in the organization about the nature and limits of the strategy. The larger and more complex an organization is, the more time the CEO needs to spend on strategy. The second temptation for CEOs is to believe their job is to somehow amalgamate or accommodate the plans they receive from their division or functional heads rather than setting the terms that would allow these functions and divisions to be integrated into a common approach. These CEOs see strategy as just another function they must manage. In one sense, they aren't to blame for taking this view. This is the way strategy is presented in most business programs, as one among other specializations like finance, legal, human resources, and so on. Just as the CFO produces financial plans and reports, and the chief of HR produces employment policies, the chief strategy officer produces a strategy for the CEO's review and approval. But Roger Martin calls this presiding over strategy instead of engaging in it, and he considers it a fatal abdication of the CEO's responsibility. Unfortunately, it seems that only a minority of CEOs avoid these two temptations. In a McKinsey survey of 2,200 executives, only 28% said that the quality of strategic decisions in their companies was generally good. 
you can see the practical difference it makes when a CEO does avoid these temptations in the account of a discussion the economist Richard Toller held with the heads of 25 divisions of a large company. Toller asked the division heads to consider a strategy for which there was an even chance they would lose a large amount of money or earn double that amount. None of the division heads were willing to adopt the strategy, but the CEO, who was present, responded that he would insist they adopt it. The CEO understood he was responsible for the organization as a whole, and the overall risk would be far less than for any individual division. He knew his role was to maintain a broader perspective than his division heads, and to make decisions they were unwilling or unable to make. My question for today is, to what extent does your chief executive, or you if you are the chief executive, encourage managers to view the work of the organization as a whole by constantly communicating the strategy and the reasons behind it? Given this role in strategy, how should CEOs go about developing and implementing their strategy? I'll offer some suggestions next time. Most people learn about podcasts from friends and colleagues. If this episode was helpful, please take 30 seconds right now to recommend The Successful Strategist to one other person. And be sure you haven't missed any of the previous episodes. If you'd like to receive my twice-monthly newsletter, which includes show notes and a summary of important ideas about strategy, management, or governance, sign up at thesuccessfulstrategist.com. I'm glad we could invest this time together. Remember, being a successful strategist doesn't require specialized training or unique insight, just a commitment to asking the right questions. The Successful Strategist is a production of Prospera LLC, a consulting firm providing strategy development, nonprofit due diligence, crisis management, and interim executive management to mission driven organizations and philanthropists. Learn more at prosperallc.com. This is Mitchell Muncie. Talk to you next time.